the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you kindly. Good afternoon to you and welcome. Good to have you on board for this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts keeping you company as we do Monday through Friday at this time, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Getting ready to come on the air tonight, I'm just reading a press release announcing the governor celebrating the signature of two abortion rights bills into law today, AB 1184, sponsored by Planned Parenthood, will now prohibit insurance companies in the state of California from revealing to the policyholder any sensitive services that are received vis-a-vis treatment by anyone on their policy, including minor children, and even in spite of the fact that the policyholder may be financially responsible for said services. So your child opts to go have some sort of treatment that could be everything from, um, (laughs) you name it, runs the gambit from uh, abortion services, sexual assault treatment, drug abuse, mental health treatment, um, cross-sex hormones, you name it. If they go, you're a policyholder, mom and dad, your child goes, has this procedure or these services performed or provided, you get the bill, but it not revealed what they were treated for, but you have to pay the bill. That's AB 1184. AB 1356 will penalize anyone who photographs or videotapes abortion clinic employees. And what happened to the law that if it was out in the open, you could film, videotape, take photographs all you wanted? Well, Constitution, I guess, is just a just a minor inconvenience in a state like California. We have asked Brian Johnston to join us later on in tonight's program to help us unpack all of what this means. You see, I, it proves my point. We made a mistake. We tried to recall the governor. and That list was 120 names too short. All right, we'll get to that conversation. Brian Johnston with the National Right to Life Committee will join us a little bit later on. Also, I want to mention before we dive too deep into the program here tonight, because I know if I don't do it now, I'll forget, our dear friend, Dr. Jerry Buckner, host of Contending for the Faith. Dr. Buckner is going to be speaking at Refuge Church in Concord this Friday. Is that right? Yeah, this Friday at 6.30 p.m. He's going to be addressing the topic of biblical propositions supporting the Trinity. Then on Saturday, the next day at 10 a.m., there'll be a two-hour workshop that he'll be hosting, again, there at Refuge Church in Concord, uh, dealing with the topic of the essentials of the Christian faith. And then the following Sunday morning, this Sunday at 10.30, he'll be delivering the... uh, 
the Sunday morning worship message. Information available, 415-721-1778. That's 415-721-1778. Dr. Jerry Buckner, his program, by the way, Contending for the Faith, comes your way every Saturday at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. What's going on? Now, I ask that as a uh, largely rhetorical question, because at any given time, there's a lot going on. These days, much more that perhaps adds a stronger sense of urgency to that question of what's going on, meaning more importantly, what are we witnessing? What are we seeing happening around us today? Political turmoil, global pandemic, the deaths of which, by the way, have now met and superseded, or exceeded rather, the deaths from the 1918 flu pandemic here in the United States. Of course, wars and rumors of wars, economic uncertainty, global climate, what do we call them, anomalies? If we don't want to call it climate change, let's call it an anomaly. Uh, Multiple 100-plus degree weather in the San Francisco Bay Area, six years of wildfires, five years of drought. Yeah, I'd call that a global anomaly. What does all of this represent? And and most importantly, what does it mean to us in the church? And as we endeavor to understand what all of this means, perhaps largely from an eschatological standpoint, how should the church be responding? Clearly, one thing is for certain, and that is there has never been a time, perhaps, in world history that we've needed so much prayer at so many levels for so many nations, Uh, save maybe World War II, I don't know. Let's get some insights. We talk about the broader question of not just what's going on and the spiritual significance of all of this, but how the church can and should be responding. Pastor Sarah Ryan joins us. He is founder of Potter's Ministries, also founding pastor of the Blessing Church, along with his dear wife. They're meeting down in San Jose Sunday mornings, and we'll give you details on all of that coming up a little bit later on. Uh, Potter's Ministry is a Christian nonprofit organization, very much focused on encouraging believers to take prayer seriously, to seek God's face, and to implore him to send revival to our land. Pastor, always good to have you on the program. Welcome. Absolutely. Craig, it's an honor to be with you to uh, discuss this important uh, uh, issue that not only our nation, but many nations face. To be sure. And, and let's start by having your, your, your pastoral insight uh, to this question. You know, I, I kind of went through that laundry list of all of these events swirling around us, you know, wildfires, trout, global pandemics, economic uncertainty, all of that. As you, uh, Pastor Ray, and t- take kind of the 30,000-foot-high viewpoint of all of this through the lens of Scripture, what what are we witnessing? What are we living through today with all of these events? I think it's definitely we are living in the last days or possibly even in the last uh, hours of the last days. We see the spirit of Antichrist in operation. Uh, but I really feel that there is one more global revival that will come before the real uh, end comes and the Antichrist appears. Uh, So we can expect a mighty move of God, uh, even as William Seymour had prophesied in 1912, that within 100 years there is going to be a greater move of God than Azusa Street revival. 
So with all the challenges that we face, uh, that you listed, uh, you know, the nations are desperate. And because of these challenges, uh, the remnant has started praying. And we are hearing from around the world that the prayer movement is really strong and the prayer movement is uh, becoming more united. And I think here is the opportunity for the church to seize, uh, to pray for revival and see that end-time global revival. Is it, though, and I concur with your observations, but I have to wonder, you use the word opportunity, and I'm wondering, is this really an opportunity, or should we regard this more as a mandate? And I say that because if we're not storming the gates of heaven (laughs) and beseeching uh, the Lord to pour out his spirit, pour out his mercy, Mm. and to call this generation to repentance, if the church is not doing that out of a sense of, of, of loving obligation, uh, then who will? No, I, I think uh, maybe the opportunity, the word opportunity is not the right word. Let me rephrase it. I think it's a desperate moment and the crisis is global. Uh, the remnant is feeling it and the remnant is coming together. Uh, there has to be uh, desperation in our prayers. And the Lord gave me a few terms over the last two years, you know, agonizing prayer and travailing prayer, tear-filled prayers, desperate prayers, and expectant prayers for revival. So I think, I think we need to be there, but, but I don't think all the churches are there and we don't even need all the churches to be there you know one thing uh, the lord showed me is the revival is not stopped by the world but the revival is stopped by the church and that is good news because if we can as a church gather the remnant together to be desperately crying out like in many other revivals that have happened around the world and we have read them in history, and we have read them as we read about revivals, we know that it was small groups of people who were desperate enough to ask God to move and were the ones who actually became the catalyst uh, for, uh, for revival. An example is uh, in Hebrides, these were, there were these two older women, you know, Christine and Peggy Smith, uh, 83 and 84 years old, cannot even go out of their homes to church, but they chose to uh, desperately pray at their homes, and they challenged the uh, the elder team uh, in their local uh, uh, church to pray as well, and then the Lord moved, and a mighty move of God in Hebrides. So, so it is a desperation time, and or a desperate time, and the church and the remnant must move, and I believe the remnant is moving and being united to pray and uh, repent for our sins and ask for revival. And, of course, there's um, there's kind of our part of the job here, as you allude to, not just reaching that point where we're, we're praying out of, out of a sense of desperation. And, you know, if you look at the headlines today, if, if you don't feel a little sense of urgency, not, not fear per se. I mean, we've read the end of the book. We know how the story ends. So we don't have to live in fear. Scripture exhorts us that perfect love 
cast out mm-hmm. all fear, but to have mm-hmm. that sense of urgency and awareness of what's happening in the world around us, and not just to be willing to pray, but then, and you use this word, and I want to come back to it when we come back after a break, uh, Pastor Ryan, and that is uh, to be a catalyst. And, and part of that, I think, becomes incumbent upon us to surrender ourselves, and as we seek God and pray, to also be willing then to be the vehicle through which he can work, because as Scripture exhorts us, how can they hear unless they have a preacher, unless there are witnesses out there? Mm-hmm. And the Lord, I think, is really calling for the church to not only pray and to repent, but also to make herself available as the catalyst through which he might move to bring revival. Certainly at the end of the day, uh, first and foremost, we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is he who convicts of sin and, and, and brings man into that place of of recognition of that separation from God and the need for repentance and salvation but in terms of bringing that message of good news and then discipling well that's that's on the church let's take a time out we're going to come back to more of our conversation pastor Sarah Ryan founder of Potter's Ministries also a founding and lead pastor at the Blessing Church of San Jose they meet Sunday mornings at 10 more information available on the web at the Blessing 360 We'll take this time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And I just want to say a poignant message there. And we heard um, Pastor Robert Jeffress a moment ago. Yes, and the church needs you. And um, quite frankly, uh, we in the body, uh, we need each other. We're discussing the topic of not just the issue of what's going on in the world around us today and the significance of all of this, but most importantly, what's the answer? I mean, in the end, it all has to come back to one central issue, and that is man standing with God. And then to talk about matters of outreach, evangelism, revival, discipleship. That's what we're focusing on today. Pastor Sil Ryan is founder of Potter's Ministries, also the founding pastor, along with his spouse of The Blessing in San Jose. They meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And again, information available on the web at theblessing360, 360, theblessing360.org. Let's unpack some more of this, Pastor, in, in relationship to the 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 church standing first and foremost not just to pray that revival happens but i think sometimes we we kind of work under the false economy that we think that means uh pray that god would send his spirit and he'll handle the rest and we just need to sit back and watch the revival happen but there is a a role that we have to play in all of this isn't there absolutely i think um with the current situation, we, I, I remember Nehemiah, uh, you know, he took action. He not only fasted and prayed and moaned at what was happening, walls were broken down in Jerusalem, and he took clear action. And I think uh, the church needs to do both. Uh, prayer is critical uh, because there has been no revival that has happened without united prayer. So prayer is critical. We cannot ignore that. But then in addition to that, we must uh, take action, and uh, like even running for uh, local government and school school district uh, uh, board positions, and and on and on. Because I think the church has ignored these things, and we have landed up in trouble because uh, the conservatives are not there, uh, or not well represented, I should say, 
in uh, some of these strategic positions uh, in local government, in state government, even in federal government. Yeah, to be sure. And, and you know, I think sometimes, too, we, we anticipate that uh, if, if somebody identifies themselves, say, as a conservative, that then necessarily means that they are like-minded from a spiritual level. And, um, you know, there has been too often, I think, in, in recent years, a, a sense by the church, and I don't know, Pastor, this might be, almost date back into the 1960s when we saw the so beginning of this sort of spiritual decline in America today, the shift away from uh, the prayer being allowed in the public classroom or... Uh, you know, the, the hard march toward erasing the Ten Commandments off of every uh, public building we can get our hands on. And, then, of course, then the irony always with that is once once we have eliminated uh, the, those critical Ten Commandments, then we stand back and say, we don't understand why our kids today are res- disrespectful of their parents or why they decide to get a gun and shoot the school up. Well, maybe if you had it drilled into their heads that those are not appropriate things to do with reinforcement like the Ten Commandments, the section circumstances circumstances might be a lot different. I think what we've sort of seen is almost as if the church has, in these decades, on the heels of this steady uh, secular assault, mm-hmm. that we've almost retreated to say that, well, you know, it, 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 we, we don't feel uncomfortable being out in the world, so we're just going to cocoon in. We're going to work, handle with our our own people. We'll associate with our own. We'll 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 stick to our own, and as a result, we're not in the world enough, I believe, to provide the kind of salt and light that's necessary to preserve and to reach. No, I think you are absolutely right. Over the last several decades, uh, there has been a great assault on the value system uh, in our nation and especially removing the uh, scriptures from the education, removing prayer from schools, as you mentioned, and also a very strategic uh, onslaught on the culture in the last 45 years. And uh, uh, I think it might not be appropriate to directly quote some things, but but we all can agree that there has been an onslaught on the culture and uh, with a strategy to take over uh, many of the seven mountains uh, with the liberal thought process and the humanist uh, secular views. Uh, and uh, I mean, some of the research is really appalling. And I, I heard, uh, I read about this, uh, for example, a student from a, a conservative Christian family attending a four-year college if they attend a four-year college in a public university, 70% of them will leave the church. And so that tells us that there has been a strategic onslaught on the culture uh, from the enemy. And the other side of the coin, as you mentioned, is the church has been caught napping. And we didn't realize this onslaught was happening uh, until, I would say, very recently, unfortunately, uh, uh, or maybe we we didn't care, and some of the church even embraced that um, uh, embraced that liberal uh, thought process. And so, so definitely, uh, a huge issue has been created, and now we have to move with great urgency and and desperation uh, to solve it by not only praying, but uh, but fighting. You know, we have to be out there. Uh, really fighting hard, uh, whether it's an issue of 
uh, vaccine mandates or uh, whether it's an issue uh, uh, in education and uh, you talk, I mean, there was an announcement about the abortion bill and I mean, these are things that are really uh, pushing us even more to the left and it's really uh, challenging uh, for our nation. So, a lot of things to be done, no question. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and when we come back after a timeout, I want to zero in on many of the things that we can and should be doing, because I know that's been a big uh, part of the focus of your ministry in calling people together to pray. And I want to specifically spend some time talking about um, uh, the, the wells of revival and exactly what that means. The church has, unfortunately, over the past many decades, uh, and sadly on an increasing basis, been found to be more and more MIA, or missing in action. I mentioned earlier 1963 and the removal of prayer from the public classroom done by the Supreme Court. 1973, the companion decisions of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton that legalized abortion in America. And you know, the church in 1973 barely put up a whimper. Mm-hmm. And to put this in perspective, and I want Christians to hear my heart on this, uh, don't think just because somebody identifies as conservative or as Republican, they are necessarily a believer. Um, what we don't like to talk about is in the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, that was handed down on a five to four majority. You know who the five votes were? Uh, uh, on that court that that voted for abortion in America, five members of that United States Supreme Court were all Republicans. Mm. So we have to be careful and not think that we're on a quest here to somehow instill conservatism in the nation. Mm. No. What we're called to do is make disciples. Uh, Scripture uh, probably a hundred times over talks about discipleship more than it does Christianity or being Christians. But in the process here of calling people to repentance and living out our life that that models what true discipleship is and then going out and making disciples for the kingdom so that there is a real heart change that produces a life change that then creates a body of believers that are excited, that are on fire, that are willing to do the work, do the praying, make the sacrifices to ultimately do what God has called us to do, and that is to love him, to serve him, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. We're going to come back with more of our dialogue. Pastor Sil Rayan with us today, founder of Potter's Ministries and founding pastor of the Blessing Church in San Jose, along with his uh, dear wife, Jemima. And you can get more information, by the way, about the church online at theblessing360.org. That's theblessing360360.org. A time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to our conversation. Pastor Cyril Ryan is with us today, founding pastor of The Blessing in San Jose and of the Potter's Ministries. One of the big events that annually they are involved with is a calling of the church together nationwide in sort of the spirit of Azusa Street. And uh, most recently, uh, this year, of course, was on uh, uh, tied in with Sunday or Saturday, the 11th of September. Uh, talk to us a bit about the broader perspective here from a practical sense, Pastor, in terms of what the church can be doing today. How do we go about planting those seeds? How, how do we go about um, digging those wells of revival? 
Absolutely. The Lord gave this uh, vision to me in 2018 in October, uh, immediately after our conference that we gathered intercessors to pray in San Jose. And I still remember it was October. And the Lord said, we must redig the wells of revival. And from Genesis 26 and 18, which talks about how Isaac dug again the wells that were dug during the days of his father Abraham and how the Philistines have blocked them up. Uh, so that was the beginning of uh, this vision. And we, we pursued it. And in 2019, we gathered at Azusa Street uh, with uh, two gatherings, one at Azusa Street and one at Fairton, New Jersey, where George Whitfield spoke in 1740 during the First Great Awakening. In 2020, it was more a national conference with 27 states praying together. In 2021, actually, it was a global conference with 90-plus sites around the world uh, joining us from 32 different nations. I think uh, this particular vision that the Lord has spoken, uh, and there are other visions and the prayer movements going on, but uh, redigging the wells of revival uh, is a very inspiring vision uh, right from the scripture, uh, we see Isaac went back to the wells that were dug during the days of his father Abraham. So that's what we really did. We had gatherings at strategic places at like Azusa Street Revival, at Yale University, uh, the Second Great Awakening site, at the site of Jonathan Edwards Church in Enfield, Connecticut, where he spoke the famous sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God at Plymouth Rock, where the, Plymouth, uh, where the pilgrims landed, and around the world, at Mukti Mission in India, and many other sites around the world. I think, I think the church needs to catch the vision uh, for revival. And, uh, and there is a remnant, as I mentioned earlier, who has caught the vision. But we need to expand the vision to sow the seeds in the hearts of the intercessors uh, around the world uh, to see to see that momentum towards revival. And let me share a little bit about what happened at Azusa Street. Uh, we had a nine-hour fasting and prayer right from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on September 11th. It was a strategic day. Uh, it was the 20th year anniversary of 9-11. It was also uh, the Saturday that fell between the two Jewish feasts, um, uh, you know, so it was a Shabbat Shua, as they call it, which really means uh, returning back to the Lord. And if you look at Genesis 26 and 18, the word again, that again, the word again there, actually the root word is Shub, which is the same as uh, in Second Chronicles 7:14, turning from our wicked ways. And so repentance is key. And we had an amazing time of uh, personal repentance and corporate uh, repentance. And uh, we prayed for many other things, uh, including uh, reconciliation, restoration, recovenanting. And then uh, we prayed for the third great awakening in America and decreed a third great awakening in America. And we really felt a breakthrough. You know, there was a pastor, Pastor Yuan Pei, who had joined us. And uh, uh, he uh, felt in his heart that September 11th was the day to pray for the third great awakening. And... And we did, and we de declared it and decreed it, and we definitely felt a breakthrough, and we felt we did redig the well of revival at Azusa Street and many others uh, around the world. 
so this is the beginning of uh, this particular prayer movement. Um, you know, we have to continue. It cannot be once a year gathering. Our ministry has around seven seven hours of prayer every weekday. We must continue earnestly, continue with diligence, continue with, uh, with the urgency, and uh, and not only pray but pray with uh, uh, tears and travail. Yeah, and that sense of urgency, because, you know, as we alluded to earlier, there's so much going on in the world around us, and we have entered into a period of time in the last 18 months um, where more and more people are facing the reality of their own mortality, Mm -hmm. Uh, this terrible disease that has claimed so many lives, uh, seemingly has a mind of its own, and now proving the capacity to mutate fairly rapidly, even to those that are vaccinated, potentially being at risk. And I think there's a good percentage of the population now, if they're serious, are beginning to ask questions about, well, if me and why my turn comes, what will happen? Well, is there any? Is there life after death? And if so, what does that look like? So it's it's a unique time in history for the church mm-hmm. to provide not only comfort and encouragement, but most importantly, to provide answers. And I'm glad you emphasized the fact, Pastor, that this can't be just a one-time thing. Uh, we, you know, we get together on the first Thursday in May for the National Day of Prayer with great vim and vinegar and enthusiasm, and then we go back to business as usual the other 364 days of the year. This really needs to be an ongoing, concerted effort that increases in our sense of commitment and dedication, both in the responsibility to make disciples and to be before the throne of grace. Pastor, finally, if folks want to get more information um, and, and get involved, you mentioned about uh, prayer circles and, and having uh, uh, you know, uh, times of, of community prayer throughout the week. How can folks get more information? Most importantly, how can people be involved in, in having an impact? No, absolutely. We have seven hours of prayer going on through Zoom and uh, teleconference every weekday. We definitely want to uh, looking for more intercessors. Our vision is to get it to a 24 by 7. And anyone who is interested in joining us to pray for America and pray for revival, even for the nations, uh, can email us on info at pottersministries.org. Both are plural, one word info at pottersministries.org and we can uh, we can plug them in we, we need we need more intercessors that's for sure yeah a- absolutely and uh, you know again I, I can't underscore enough that tremendous sense of urgency in terms of where we're at right now in our nation in the world and uh, I believe that God is calling us to pray the answer the question is will you answer Again, you can uh, get more information and uh, be in direct contact with Pastor Rayan by uh, simply sending an email to info at pottersministries.org. That's info at pottersministries, both plural, dot O-R-G. Our thanks to uh, Pastor Cyril Rayan for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. A brief time out. We're going to get you an update on traffic when we come back. Some celebrations happening in Sacramento, but not many of us. We'll find out what's up. As Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I mentioned a little while ago, getting ready to come on air tonight, and uh, this story is just as of 20 minutes ago. The governor has signed two laws here in California, Governor Newsom. 
Assembly Bill 1184, making it so that, quote, sensitive medical information is only provided to the patient and no one else on a health care plan. That means if your daughter goes and receives any sort of treatment um, related to mental health, abortion-related health, sex change, therapy, hormones, whatever, um, you're going to pay for it, you're going to get the bill, and you're not even given the right to know what it's for. Um, the second one, of course, um, just seems to be uh, another clamping down on freedoms. AB 1356 makes it now illegal to post videos, photos, or personal information online of anyone involved with uh, reproductive, quote-unquote, health care facilities, read abortion clinics. Um, the same law now extends to protections to the 100 feet surrounding facilities' entrances. Boy, they're just doing all that they can, and it's interesting. Talk about juxtaposed. Mississippi and Texas are passing laws to protect life, and California's passing laws to make sure that we don't. Some insights to these and other stories. We're joined now by Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And, uh, Brian, these uh, these are brand-new stories here. Uh, we yep. knew that uh, eventually the governor was going to uh, be in a position to sign these bills, and now he has. Yes, Greg, and this is something that, in one sense, is not surprising. This man has been unalterably the most committed of any chief executive in the nation, any governor, even our previous governor, Jerry Brown. But more so even than Mr. Biden. This man is just rapidly committed to unlimited abortions. We know last year when there were pro-life laws being passed in other states, he went public and said, no, women need to come to California for the free abortions. We'll give them their abortions here. There's no limits. There are no need for it to be a hard case it is basically a considered a a right to just end that child's life regardless of the age regardless of the condition of the mother or child there need be nothing wrong with the child there need be nothing wrong with the mother that's what's meant by choice and people need to really realize that it's what justice byron white said in his his dissent to roe v wade abortion at any time, for any reason, or no reason in particular. So this is a real commitment. Now we see on these policies the the idea that that you have an insurance policy to cover your health and then it extends to your family. But but if someone can get to your child and say, "Hey, uh, we'll get you an abortion." And if your daddy has insurance, we'll be able to access that and he'll never know. Or much worse. And that's, I mean, can it get much worse? But indeed, oh, you think you're not a boy. You think you're a girl. Well, we'll get you an operation. We'll start giving you hormones. And your folks don't need to find out. But their insurance is going to pay for it. It's astounding. This is going to be litigated. It has to be. But we're really in a situation that California's voters need to wake up. Now, we just came out of, I think, a very appropriate recall, and we've talked about it, Craig. It was a long shot. The reason it was a long shot wasn't because the average voter supports these policies. 
That's not the average voter doesn't support these policies. We have basically a Tammany Hall Democrat Party, and Tammany Hall, for those who remember their history, was a very evil, controlling political system in New York City that used immigrants and happened to use Irish immigrants, but that used their votes. They didn't know anything about policies, but it said, "Look, if you're Irish, we're going to vote for you." We're going to protect your interests. Just give us those ballots. And they would do what's being done now, where government employees would go and collect the ballots, and they would stuff the ballot boxes. And California's unions, again, these are government employee unions, are committed to this ideology in the Democrat Party, where power is used to accomplish certain things in individual human lives are dismissed. It's about groups. It's about dismissing human beings, hurting them, and if need be, ending the lives of certain human beings. That is part of this political system. So this is not our grandparents' Democrat Party or even our parents' Democrat Party. This is a very, very controlling and evil system. So there, there were millions of dollars by these government employee unions in addition to the media bias, but also we had individuals like George Soros pouring millions in to make sure that the voices of normal people weren't heard, but instead that the ballots would be collected and there'd be no dissent. No Democrat was allowed to file against him under threat. No Democrats, even though many Democrats signed that, they were threatened. If any elected Democrat said, well, in case he loses, I'll be available. No. They literally threaten them. So this is a, a very serious system, and the reason I, I'm dragging this out is that don't be discouraged, because that was merely the first shot in what's coming up. The battle ahead is the elections of 2022. And if you don't like what's happening in your schools, in your city, in your town, and in our capital, Every one of the districts are going to be different now. In 2022, every assembly member, every senator is going to have a new district map. People have had enough, and they are not going to be able to control all of those ballots. They're not going to be able to go down to the granular level of the school boards. That's where our opportunities lay. If individuals that you know have had enough and they're running for office, encourage them, help them. Because the battle is on us. Part of the problem that we have here is that many Christians have not been involved in civics. So I'm actually glad. I, I expected, I, I, to be honest, we expected, in a sense, to lose the recall. The exciting thing is that people said, we don't care. We've had enough. And now that's going to continue. Mr. Newsom is doing exactly what he promised. He has promised to, promised to use death, literally killing human beings as a social tool and he's following through on that so we need to be motivated because the 2022 elections are on us and the office is open in November. But let me ask you a question, Brian, because there's another thing that makes this even more complicated. And, and, you know, certainly we understand that there are going to be times when we have to uh, wage battles in court. Um, there's, There's no question about that. We have times when we have to take it to a state legislature 
and use the power of states' rights to affect the will of the people. What do you do when the federal government decides to come in and over basically try to overwrite all of that, much as what's taking place in Texas right now, where the Supreme Court hadn't said, yeah, don't bother us for more than five minutes, and all of a sudden Washington, D.C. is basically uh, putting in motion all the gears necessary to try to undermine the Texas law at every turn. Yeah, well, again, that is the Democrat Party. That is Joe Biden promised Planned Parenthood, as Carol Tobias said in that press release. They are tied. The Democrat Party owes Planned Parenthood and will do whatever it asks. And literally has set aside for those abortion clinics, they're giving them $10 million for the money they're going to lose. They're going to use all of the power of the federal government to try to stop that Texas law. And that says something. That means they're afraid. So they can do all they want, but the elections are coming. And Nancy Pelosi barely, barely holds her office, and yet they're going over the cliff with this radical. She's not moderating. And so these these elections are on us. Literally, the 2022 elections are on us. There will be members of Congress running in these new districts. And if you don't like what's going on, then help those who want to do something. They won't be, you know, we we can get into the debate about what happened in the 2020 election. Were there losses for, there was for the president because of key districts, apparently key areas, key precincts. But if you look, the Republicans won in 2020. The Republicans didn't lose a single seat. So there was something odd about the 2020 election, and it's because they can't control every race. If there's one central race, as there was in the recall, then they can use their machine to control things. But they can't control all of these races. And so this should be inspiration for folks to say, look, we've had enough. It's the only way that Tammany Hall is brought to an end. Yeah, yeah, your your point on that is very valid, and the notion of... uh standing guard on this, because now with some of the redistricting that we're going to experience, making sure that some of the uh, gerrymandering and, and uh, game playing, uh, game playing uh, we just need to be vigilant because you know they're going to try it. Uh, these updates, and I know that Brian will get into these topics much deeper this weekend. We invite you to check out Life Matters that comes your way Saturdays at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. Lots of information about the broadcast and other resources available at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, for that update. Six o'clock from KFAX. And speaking of updates, let's get you one right now on traffic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.